You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Zoom. That's new. Uh, did you guys hear that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is that the first time you heard that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it happened on my Sunday class too. Oh, well, there you go. So welcome uh, to First Peter, and this meeting is being recorded because we do put them online afterwards. So uh, we are going, uh, we're almost done. We are on First Peter chapter 4, and we're going to be uh, looking at verses 1 through 11 tonight, and uh, lots of great stuff in this, but I want to begin, actually, let me begin with prayer, and uh, then I'm going to ask you a question. So let, let, let's pray to start. Lord Jesus, you are Lord of heaven and earth. You are faithful and true. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. And you are sovereign over all things. You are God. And in you and through you will our life make sense. In you and through you will we live the life that you want us to live. And so teach us what it means to follow you. Teach us what it means to be in union with you. So guide us as we look at your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the questions I want to just start off with, and it it, it pertains to what we're going to be looking at tonight. And I think we've touched on this before, but if you think about when, if it applies to you, and it may not apply to you, but if it does apply to you, um, when you um, when you decided to follow Jesus, what was the biggest change or challenge that you faced right away? What was the biggest thing that was it? Losing people you thought were friends. Well, that was quick, Josh. And Heather, yeah, interesting. Which is actually interesting enough a theme of this uh, passage we're going to be looking at. Interesting. Good. Okay. Yeah. We'll come back to that. What else? Uh, saying things that I shouldn't say. Not, not saying things that you shouldn't say. Is that like reforming your language? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, that was a challenge for me. Still is, but it was a real challenge for me uh, at the beginning. It, it just in terms of how I spoke, uh, you know, I would speak with, Lots of swear words running through my, where I wasn't even angry, it's just the way I spoke. Being unpopular, turning from my old ways, I felt amazing peace, stopped sinning. Um, I wasn't 100% sure if that's it. Challenge from my dad, criticism from family, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. conflict in the household. Wow, this is rich and unclean. Uh, yeah. Yes, this, uh, when you live in the Islamic country, yeah, when you change your religion. Oh, oh, oh thank you. Are, you are, yeah, yeah, you're unclean, okay. and even you drink a tea, they have to wash. They have to wash three times. That any uh, things do you use it? Really? That's, wow, yeah. that's worse than COVID. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I was no longer a victim to my circumstances. That's an interesting comment, Pat. Very good. Yeah, strained mm-hmm. relationships at work. Yeah, there's a lot that a lot that changes. Um, yeah, Lord and Savior consciously, be willing mm-hmm. to change. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, in terms, I mean, the lots of things change. I mean, it, it didn't all happen at once, but uh, I remember, you know, I was a, you know, I was a heavy drinker, heavy smoker, and dabbled in drugs, and and just any of my relationships were not always um, healthy, and so just how to how to change those relationships, and um, you know, just something as simple as you know, as a Christian, how do you date? Uh, I, I had no idea. <laughs> I knew how to date when I wasn't a Christian, but apparently there's different rules. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a real challenge. Yeah. Oh, that's rich relief that I didn't have to carry the load alone. That was, I experienced that just as I don't have to be God in my life anymore. That's great, Diane. Yeah. Spiritual warfare. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, I mean, this is one of the themes that we're going to be looking at. And one of the themes is that when you decide to follow Jesus, not everyone will be happy with it, right? Not everybody will be happy. And, and praying, yeah, learning to pray and how to pray. Boy, that was hard for me. Yeah, I had no idea. I still, well, I still, still learning how to pray. Um, let's look at our passage tonight. And we're going to see how, how this, some of these themes show up. So 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading again from the ESV translation. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, uh, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one speaks, oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so th this passage, our passage begins uh, with a therefore again. We have another therefore. And it says, um, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself in the same way of thinking. Wherever ever suffered in the flesh, it ceased from sin. So Peter, he's, he's, he's indicating, he's beginning with a logical response to what we, we've come across before, is that Jesus has suffered in the flesh. We see that back in, in chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered, right? Um, and Peter's point is that there are people in the church who are suffering for the sake of following Jesus. And so what Peter is saying, he's saying, look, look, since Therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourself in the same way of thinking. Meaning, recognize that you will suffer in the flesh if you decide 
to follow Jesus. And so he's, he's, he's basically setting the table and he's asking the question, how are you going to respond when difficult circumstances come your way? If you decide to follow Jesus, it's not going to be easy. And so how are you going to respond when difficulties come? And he says, this is how you respond. You respond exactly as Jesus did. Exactly as Jesus did. Because Jesus did good. He did good and he suffered for it. And by following him, you're going to be doing good and you're going to be suffering for it. But we realize, but Jesus gives us a model for living. And Mike walked us through this back in chapter two, and it comes up again and again. And, and, and the model is this, is that Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. And, and, and this is how God calls us to respond whenever you and I experience unjust mistreatment. Now, remember, it's unjust. And Peter's saying there's no point doing bad and getting punished for it. He goes, what's the point of, he goes, if you're doing something wrong, then of course you're going to get punished for it. But the, the, the thing is, is when you do something that's right, most of the time you're going to be okay. But there are going to be times if you decide to follow Jesus where it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And so you need to know right from the get-go, you need to, arm yourself. Now, interesting term he uses. He, he said you need to arm yourself. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. And this, this language of arming yourself is a language that runs through the New Testament. And it reminds us that the Christian life can be a battle. It can be a real struggle. Would you agree? Yeah. And the language that Paul uses, Paul uses this language all the time in, in, in Romans 6, 13, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 10, of course, Ephesians 6, which is the armor of God. He says, you know, you and I need to put on the full armor of God, right? Breastplate of righteousness, you know, shield of faith, helmet of truth. We need to do that. We need to be fully armed so that we can stand when the challenges come our way. Right. And so Peter is just reiterating this. But it's important to get this because we can look at this and say, okay, Jesus suffered. And so we need to arm ourselves to get ready to suffer. And th that is what Peter is saying. But we have to come back to what Mike was teaching a few weeks ago because Peter says we should have, you know, we need to follow in the steps of Jesus, who when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. But what does he do? He dies on the tree he dies he dies the death that we should have died and it's because jesus died for us that we are now empowered to be able to suffer as he suffered if you just try to suffer as jesus suffered if you think that oh, okay jesus suffered and i can suffer and i'll just you know suck it up and deal with it you're you're, you're toast it's only by the work of what jesus did on the cross and the gifting of the holy spirit that we can be empowered to face whatever comes our way does that make sense yeah, if you if you forget the Holy Spirit and you try to live out the Christian life, you're in deep trouble. <laughs> you're in really deep trouble. Uh, you cannot do that, right? And so we need to always read First Peter as a whole, and that's where we come back to what uh, what he was saying back in chapter two. Um, and then it's interesting. He says this interesting phrase. He says, 
Arm yourself with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What do you think that means? Does that mean anybody who follows Jesus and suffers no longer sins? Sin loses its power to defeat us in our suffering. Yeah, I think that, I think you're right on the mark, Jack. Um, what Peter is saying is, is because of what Jesus has done, sin no longer has the same draw for the Christian. It doesn't mean we don't sin, <laughs> but it, it no longer has the same, our affections are changed. And I don't know about you, but one of the things happened when I became a Christian, my affections changed. I hadn't even read the Bible hardly at all. I, you know, never read a new little tiny bits. I was just starting to read it, but my affections began to change. Things that I used to do, you know, one of the things that changed is that um, I, um, I wanted to worship. And I, I didn't know what worship meant, but all of a sudden I wanted to somehow sing God's praises. Uh, things that used to satisfy um, didn't satisfy me the same way. And I remember one time, one time uh, back in Hong Kong, uh, when I lived in Hong Kong, I, I had a girlfriend and, uh, and she, she was asking me, she said, what's the matter with you? You know, you're, you're all different and you're all weird, you know? <laughs> and uh, she goes, why are you acting so strangely? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and she said, uh, well, it, where does it say in the Bible that you have to act this way? And I said, I, I don't know. But something's changed. Something has changed. And, and, um, and I think that's what Peter's getting at. It's not like we cease from sin, but the power of sin is broken. Yeah, I think the things that we used to accept, we, we're now like, we don't feel comfortable in the same, same way of doing things. And sometimes we can't explain why. And I, well, I think we can now. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But at the time, I had no idea. All I knew is that I was, I was messed up. The things that used to that I used to enjoy or think we're okay. I didn't think we're okay anymore. And I had no idea why, except for now I realized it was the work of the Holy Spirit. So yeah, our affections change. And then look at verse two. Verse two, he says, so whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So we live for the rest of our time in the flesh, no longer for our passions, for the will of God. And he's basically saying, you know, how we're going to live is, is, is changed. Uh, we're no longer living for our passions. We're no longer living our old way, but we have this desire to please God. Um, and so when we endure unjust suffering, when we endure it, God is pleased with us. Um, when when we're mistreated for following Jesus and we remain faithful, God is pleased with that. Now don't mistake, God's not pleased with injustice or mistreatment, but how we respond to these things really matters. And then he says, it's interesting. He says, he says, he says for the rest of the time in the flesh and basically what he's saying, which is a theme in all of first Peter is that the time that we have here is short, right? The time that, that we have here is short. Um, 
there will come a day when we will die and we will receive our eternal inheritance. And so during this time that we live here, recognize that this time is short. This is, this is but as C.S. Lewis says, the cover page of a book that goes on forever, which every chapter being better than the chapter before, right? This is, this is just the beginning point of a book that'll go on forever. A book where our life with God, which gets better and better with each chapter. I love that picture in the, in the last battle. And then, but then he says, but then Peter says, but hang on, um, people, if, if, if you start to walk as Jesus walks and, 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 you know, you don't give in to the passions that you used to give in to, people are going to notice and they're not going to be happy. Look what he says in verse three. He says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised. They are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And he says, he says, man, you know, following Jesus will land you into some trouble with your old crowd. And I've already seen from some of you, 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 you remember that well, right? Um, people get resentful if you refuse to participate in old habits. And uh, I bet you guys can give lots of testimony to that. My, my buddies, I had idle drinking buddies in, in China. And, oh, they got mad. They got mad. Because I was one of the, I was a chief critic, uh, critic of Christianity. I hated Christians. And so when I became a Christian and, uh, and some of my habits began to change, oh, they were not happy, not happy at all. Um, they, 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 were, they were quite offended. Um, yeah. Does anybody have any story that they want to share about maybe uh, some of the treatment that they received after they decided to follow Jesus? I can share. Sure. My drinking buddies were telling me that I got brainwashed in Canada and I got pulled into a cult or something when I, yeah. I told them that I, I became a believer. So, yeah. Called me all kinds of names. Yeah. Yeah, people get mad. People get really mad, especially if you, yeah, you don't start doing the, the old things that you used to do, right? Anyone else? Well, it's what happens quite often is, uh, is, is when. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, th that's what happens is, is when you decide to follow Jesus, some of your old buddies may not be overly happy about that. And that's what Peter's saying. And he says, he says, with respect, they are surprised when you do not join them in the, in, you know, the old flood of debauchery that he used to be part of, right? And it, yeah, it was a lonely road looking for new friends. That's, that's interesting. Um, and, so, and that's what Peter is getting at. He says, when we choose to cease from sin so we can devote our lives to doing God's will, um, you know, some people aren't going to be happy. Here's the thing. It's not just like your old drinking buddies. I mean, that was the case for me. But sometimes, even as a Christian and you with your Christian friends, if God really grabs hold of you and you go deeper in your faith, some of your Christian friends may not be too happy about that. 
Well, I was like, let's not get carried away with this whole Jesus thing. I mean, to be a Christian, going to church, that's okay. But now you seem to be like really kind of taking this seriously. Um, and sometimes you'll get some flack from, from uh, Christian friends. I don't know if you've had that experience. Yeah, David. Hi, David. Hey, go ahead, Jim. Hey, I was just thinking, um, I know when I first became a Christian and I, I kind of went uh, away from the old habits and stuff like that. Um, it was, it was interesting to meet up with guys at church that thought differently, like it was a whole new world yeah. out there. So I'd never come across any Christian guys that I can remember, but meeting the guys at church for the first time was like a whole new ball game. Yeah. Right. And it was great to get away. And I'm sure Julie was happy with that too, but um, yeah. No, I, I took, and you know what I found interesting is, is the fact that Christian guys could be fun. Yeah. Cause I had always thought, you know, these Christian, what do they know? And, but the, the guys I met, like, you guys are a lot of fun. Right. And, and you could, you could have a lot of fun without getting hammered. That was a revelation for me too. Um, it, it was all new. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had an instance, um, my husband, Presley, I don't know if you remember Presley. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember Presley. Yeah. So so one day we were grocery shopping and we were going around and he grabbed a orange juice out of the cooler and started drinking it. And then when we got to the, to the checkout, he just handed it to the uh, girl and said, can you put that in the garbage for me? And I said, no, you got to ring that in. And, and so he was like, no, shush, shush, you know, he's trying to shush me. And like, no, we have to pay for that. You drank that while we were shopping, but now we have to pay for it. And he called me, who are you, Jesus? <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> like I was trying to be like super holy or something. It's like, no, that's stealing. So yeah, I just well, couldn't, I couldn't put up with it. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, like I, I, I remember I was hanging out with a buddy of mine and, and he, we we're both Christians and we we're both, uh, we we're both working as interns at a church. And uh, my, my buddy was, I mean, he could be pretty sarcastic. And if you know me, you know, I can maybe be a little sarcastic at times. Um, and uh, something happened. And uh, I thought it was quite funny. And I, I was quite sarcastic. And, and we we're both kind of sarcastic at, at a restaurant um, towards the server. And, uh, and I thought it was just funny or whatever. And then afterwards, he just said, he goes, you know what? We shouldn't have spoken that way to her. I'm like, well, come on. It's, it's fine. He goes, no, no. He goes, I'm going to go back. Uh, I need to apologize. And he did. And he went back and apologized. And I remember being mad at him. I'm like, dude, come on. What's the big deal? But afterwards, it really hit me. It's like, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that stung me because I realized that, you know, I was at a line, but I didn't admit it. Right? Yeah, it's interesting. But, but Peter's catch, uh, he's, he's holding on to that, uh, that dynamic. And he says, and then he kind of gives a list. He gives a list of all the things um, that, that people used to be doing. He goes, for the time has passed, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry, which is an interesting, just, just an aside. Um, it's just an aside. Yeah, sorry, I, I wanted to mention, yeah, I did see, Pat, what, what you wrote. I meant to, uh, meant to um, acknowledge that. Most of my friends accept me in my faith even if they're not interested in following. But when life is tough, often people will ask you to pray. It is interesting how that happens. Uh, you know, because they'll say, my, 
my brother, my brother always says, you know, can you, can you put in a word to the big guy for me? I'm like, John, you can do the same. No, no, you're, you're a pastor. You're closer. Um, but uh, Peter, he, he, he talks about, you know, some of the old practices, which is a reminder. It's kind of a clue because we, we asked the question at the beginning of the, of our study in first Peter, who makes up most of the church? I think this is a good indicator that most of the church, even though there were Jews in the midst of the bulk of the church was made up of Gentiles. Um, and he says, you know, don't go back to the old way you used to do things. He talked about uh, um, se sensuality, right? And uh, which is, what does that word mean? It means uh, completely lacking in moral constraint. Uh, he talks about people living according to their passions, which is uh, translated a strong desire. It's usually a, a desire for lust. Uh, drunkenness. Drunkenness is pretty self-explanatory, but I mean, it would probably extend today to, uh, to drug use, I would, I would think. The term for orgies is drunkenness combined with sexual immorality equals orgies. Um, drinking parties. Now, these are not drinking parties from, you know, uh, you know, the olden days, you know, having a, you know, a couple two fours and in, uh, in the back 40. Um, but drinking parties are actually specific things that would challenge Christians. I would challenge people because what it would happen, and we talked about this before, but if let's say, for example, uh, Lori, you are part of a, a guild, let's say you're a carpenter and uh, you're a good carpenter, you would belong to a trade union, a guild. And so you would be expected to go to these guild parties. Um, and at these guild parties, they would, uh, they, you would eat meat that had been sacrificed to your guild god, your, paint, your, your patron god. And, um, and then there'd be a lot of other stuff that would be going on that's not very good. And that would be the expectation, just be as, as, as part of this trade union that that's what you had to do. So idolatry would be mixed in with this. That's what's implied by drinking party. And that's why right after that, Peter mentions idolatry. And idolatry, what is idolatry? But idolatry is, we've talked about this before, it's where anything or anyone becomes ultimate in your life, right? Even good things. And so Peter's saying, you know, you need to be careful. We need to be careful. We need to... Um, you know, even if it's going to cost us, we cannot participate in this life anymore. Why? Because we are strangers in a strange land. This is no longer our home. The staff Christmas party. There you go. <laughs> exactly. But that's exactly it. The staff Christmas party. Yeah. So, okay. I'm glad you mentioned that. What are, and uh, Peter, you mentioned Hollywood. Um, what are some situations Um do I dare put you into a breakout room? Oh, let's just, we'll open it up. I mean, some of you guys get, you get sweaty palms the moment I say breakout rooms. Um, what, uh, what are some ways, um, what are some situations we face in our life today um, that, uh, where we would experience, you know, pressures, um, where we would experience pressures to, that, that would pull us away from Jesus? What are some examples? I have a very sometimes, mild example. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Colleen. Go ahead. I was going to say sometimes in work, like um, my boss would say to me, um, can you just tell those people I'm not here? And I'd be like, well, you're asking me to lie for you. So if I can lie for you, I can lie to you. Which is it? So they expect you to compromise 
your integrity because they just don't want to be honest and say they're unavailable at the time. That's a great example. And it's such, um, in many ways, such an innocuous example, but it's loaded, isn't it? Because you're being asked to lie. And for them, it'd be like, well, just tell them I'm not here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That, no, excellent, Colleen. Yeah, that's very good. Natalia, you were going to say one? Yeah. Um, at work, we uh, have meetings every now and then, and we are asked to put in our signature the pronouns that we want to be called by. Like, I'm supposed to put her or she, she and yeah. her in yeah. my signature. And um, we're supposed to put like the rainbow flag to support certain groups like in our signature. So those are the things that are pushing their way through um, corporate meetings. So under all inclusiveness, all acceptedness, and um, I don't agree with all of that. So I don't do that, but pretty much everybody else does it. Mm, so interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah. And every meeting we get some reminders and things like that. So it's like, yeah, a little yeah. bit uh, pushy. Yeah. 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 I've talked to a number of people who who work in the in the public sphere that uh, are really facing huge challenges in that area. Um, yeah. And anybody else? Yeah, the Bible's been removed from our courtrooms. We only affirm now, yeah. Removed from hotel rooms too. No more Gideon Bibles. But yeah, but but there are challenges. There 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 are challenges um, that we will face. And so yeah, I mean Peter he gives the example. I mean he uses a pretty strong. He says they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. <laughs> when you don't do that, they malign you. Again, they, they don't kill you. This is we're not at the time of 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 you know full on persecution of the church yet. That's what tells us that this book is probably dated a little bit earlier than, than, uh, than uh, you know, the book of Revelation, for example. It, you'll be maligned. And that seems to be what, uh, what the church is struggling with. If you align yourself with Jesus, you're going to come under a lot of flack. You can get a lot of flack. Um, now, <laughs> I don't know. I should, I should put you in a, group, in a breakout room for this one because this will be a fun one. Um, well, look what he says. He says, with uh, verse four, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Okay, so far so good. We understand. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Okay, so all people, you know, at the end of the day are going to have to give an account before God because God judges the living and the dead. So far, so good. Makes sense. Verse six. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. All right. Oh, interesting, Lori. Yeah. 
Um, so what in the world does Peter mean? <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Uh, what does Peter mean by saying the gospel was preached to those who are dead? Anyone? <laughs> this is a hard passage. This is one of those really hard. This is almost as hard as, as chapter 3, verse 19. Well, I think what it is, it isn't saying, Dave, is that we have a, a, a chance after death. Okay. I think there's a, there's a persona that we have hope. For those that maybe never walked with Jesus, that there's hope in, in death too. And we see scripture that we see the story of Lazarus that it doesn't support that aspect. Of it. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so you would say that's Dave, right? I, I recognize the voice. Is that right? Yeah. I'm talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you say it's not referring to a second chance after you die, Correct. like post post mortem evangelism yeah so i kind of went at it from the the underside up not from directly where you were going okay so okay that's all right we're gonna we're gonna um we're going to uh, remove all the wrong possibilities so that's okay so it's not a it's not post-mortem evangelism so what in the world is peter talking about here david go ahead laurie or or would it would it be referring to people who heard the gospel before they were saved so they were dead in their sins um so they 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 heard it and and then um changed yeah so that is an argument that it might be referring to spiritual death but it seems strange because we ju he just talks about physical death that jesus uh, or that god judges the living and the dead and then to shift gears and make this about right right after that referred to some kind of spiritual death doesn't it might be that that is that is a one one possible um, explanation, um, because there's one passage that Jesus says to the one of that wants to follow him and say, "Where you sleep?" They said, "My father did let me uh, do that one and follow you." They said, "No, let the dead people to bury your father." That's that's why just I continue the Lord is one. This one of the Jesus said that one. Yeah, and then that may have just been an expression too, you know, because what he's saying is like, don't delay. You may as well follow me now. Let the dead oh. bury their own dead. Meaning, if if you're not going to follow me, you know, that's you know, you're not going to experience life. Long years, I, I taught always that there is a really as a spiritual dead people in the God's eyes, and there's a living God. So that like yeah. a when you planet, there is a. Uh, the things you have to take from that wheat. There's a, I forgot the word in English. In the end, the God will take all of them and they separate from them. Right, that's right. why I thought that's me. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if that's what that, in that particular passage, if that's what, I think Peter, um, Jesus is, 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 is just using expression about and, and encouraging people to follow him. Um, I mean, some people would link it to back in uh, chapter three, verse 19. Is this, you know, are we back at, uh, you know, the days of Noah and, and, you know, are these, is this the abode of the dead? So Dave is kind of like your point is, is he, you know, giving, giving a second chance to the dead? I mean, cause what he is saying, I mean, the, what the passage says is that the gospel was preached. So unlike in chapter three, which is there's a proclamation, which is not necessarily evangelism or the gospel. It's just, and we decided last time that it looks like Jesus was proclaiming his victory over unclean spirits. That seems to be what chapter three is about. This one, um, this one, uh, yeah, one idea is that they're spiritually dead. Um, it could be those 
who were alive and heard the gospel and re and, re and received it in faith. And then they've just happened to die, you know, so dead Christians. So uh, kind of what you said, Denise, I think you'd, you'd mark that. Um, Mike, you said a pastor I heard earlier in my life suggested it was dead spiritually. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a mysterious passage. It, it could be, it could be that it's referring to um, one again to Christians who are now dead, but had heard and responded to the gospel before they did. So it's just referring to dead, you know, Christians in the church who happened to have died, but you know, they, they, uh, they had responded to the gospel positively. Secondly, it could be um, referring to the righteous dead of ancient Israel. That, that, that's an argument that's been put forward. Um, the gospel existed before Christ. Uh, no, but I think, Kevin, it would be the gospel being preached backwards to and applied to those who you know, the, the righteous in, in ancient Israel uh, who now receive the gospel. It's kind of like what you see in, in the book of Hebrews. You have people who died horrific deaths. They, you know, died unjust deaths, but they had been looking forward. They'd been looking forward to the day when the Messiah would come. They'd been looking forward to that, to that, to the coming of the Christ. And so the picture is, um, that Jesus is, is preaching to the righteous dead of, of Israel. And now th there's some clues to this. And, and one of the clues is that there's a book that was probably read in Peter's day. Now, don't get me, like I'm, I'm learning this like you guys are learning this. So I'm, I'm reading guys this past week who, who've been uh, making the case for this. Am I frozen screen still? No. You know? No, you're good. I'm good, okay. Um, in the book of wisdom, okay, that's a book that if you're Catholic, you might be familiar with. Um, it's not actually in the Protestant Bible, but it is part of what is called the Apocrypha. There's a book called the book of wisdom. And in the book of wisdom, we come across, and I think I have it in your notes. I, I quote it. Chap book of wisdom, chapter three says this. But the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and no torment will ever touch them. In the eyes of the foolish, they seem to have died, and their departure was thought to be an affliction, and their going from us to be their destruction. But they are at peace, for though in the sight of men they were punished, their hope is full of immortality. Having been disciplined a little, they will receive great good because God tested them and found them worthy of himself. Like gold in the furnace, he tried them. Like a sacrificial burnt offering, he accepted them. And so the question is, is this a picture of God? Um, because the, the picture just prior to this is a picture of God judging the living and the dead. And so is this an example of the fate of Old Testament saints? Um, these people who had come, they died before Jesus came, but that they're not eternally lost. 
because the gospel is being proclaimed to them. Um, that Jesus has proclaimed to the, uh, the his, his his victory to them, um, and so they, though that they though they suffer, they've been mocked, flogged, imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two, and killed by the sword, as we read in Hebrews chapter eleven. They suffer greatly, and after they died, they did not receive the promise that God had for them. But now that Jesus has bled and died as a sacrifice to pay the penalty has been raised from the dead, they now receive the benefit of the gospel. That's an argument that's been put forward that that is what Peter is getting at. And um, there seems to be a, a sense that he, he would have been familiar from, from the people that I've read with that passage in, in the book of wisdom and somehow being echoed in that passage. We don't know. That's a shot, that's a shot at it. But it's, it's, a, it's one of the many mysterious passages in, in 1 Peter. Comments? Thoughts? Pushback? What did you hear, Mike? Oh, yeah. You had uh, come across this before, right? It was a long time ago, and I don't think I necessarily agree with him. I mean, after having looked at this, passage and how you described it and even in times when i read it before it didn't really seem that it referred to spiritually dead people that it seems to maybe lean more towards what what you were saying yeah i mean the commentaries i read most if there was consensus it was it was along those lines uh so you know guys like peter david i howard marshall and even um martin Cooley. Who, uh, who I'm drawing from, all had consensus on that. Um, could Jesus have spoken to his, uh, to his disciples about this before his ascending to heaven? Yeah, yeah. Well, Matthew Henry would agree to that. Wow, hey, Matthew Henry. Well, that's good. <laughs> it's, it's a mysterious verse. Uh, that, that's a shot at it. I'm... I'm It seems to have to, to fit, but hey, that's okay. I, I, I don't mind leaving it uh, open-ended or if you want to dive into it this week and uh, we can revisit it, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. But let's move along. Um, in verse seven, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Again, fascinating passage. Um, he, he gets, he says, you know, you have to realize that the end of all things is at hand and he, and he's and he's encouraging people to remain faithful um, because the end is near you know we always make fun of guys with those signs you know repent for the end is near and we kind of cringe and i always cringe and and uh but then i think about it yeah i mean that's the story of scripture is that the the end uh, the end is always near. That Jesus's return is always imminent, um, and so you and I we need to remember that 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 um, this world is not our home, and that this world will not go on forever. That history has a beginning and an end, which is different than how the world would see. The world sees, you know, the worlds will go on forever. Um, 
with no end. But that's not the biblical view. The biblical view is that there's a beginning and the end. And Jesus bookends it. He is the first and the last, right? The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so we're here for a short time. I always think of Trooper. We're here for a good time, not a long time, but that's, that's, that's not right. Um, but we're here for a short time. And so he's reminding us, because the end of all things is at hand, that, that we need to be ready to give an accounting before God, because God is the one who judges the living and the dead. And so he's going to ask us, how did we live our lives as ambassadors? Did we represent Jesus in how we lived our lives? I think that's a really important question. And he says, because of this, therefore, therefore, you and I need to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Self-controlled and sober-minded. Why do we need to be self-controlled and sober-minded? Because normally we do sins. Sorry? Because normally we do sins. Our, our action, culture, everything. Yeah, yeah, because normally we do sins. In, in our passage, why, why, why does he tell us to be sober-minded? So that we may pray. So, yeah, for the sake of our prayers. Now explain to me, what is the connection between self-control Sober-mindedness and prayer. Uh, I think it seems to indicate uh, self-control as the opposite of verse 2, where you live according to your evil desire, whereas our self-control is following Jesus, take up a cross and follow him, which, it, which needs that self-control, needs the power of God. And we need to listen to him and follow him. So it's kind of a, a opposite of each of the other one. So yeah, if yeah. you're walking into those lusts and about debauchery, then you wouldn't be praying. That's good. Yeah, and so and that's that's good reading, Peter, because uh, um, because it is uh, laying out the contrast that we saw of, of living according to our passions and and uh, our licentiousness. And then you get this picture of, of, of self-control. Um, yeah, I think, I think that is what he's saying. We need to have a proper view of God. But here's the thing. We need to have a proper view of God. We need to have a proper view of suffering. We need to have a proper view of holiness. A proper view of the fact that this life is not our own. And if we get that wrong, we can go down right wrong paths. If we get it right, then that helps us in how we pray. Um, because it means we will pray with an accurate view of who God is and an accurate view of what to expect in this life. And so, for example, um, if, you have, if you're not clear-headed and you're like, you know, God, why are these bad things happening to me? You know, I'm just trying to follow you. And then people are really mad at me. Uh, that doesn't make sense. God, stop this. Change their mind. Change their way of thinking. Well, okay, that in your prayers, it's not like your prayers are wrong, but they're not really reflecting 
the truth of God's word and who God is and what we are to expect. Jesus says, in this world, you and I will have trouble. And so sometimes when we pray that, um, you know, when we, when we pray in such a way that um, makes God into like a lucky charm or uh, a force for luck or for goodness or, or for something that we want, rather than praying in a way that reflects God's character, then our prayers are affected. And I've heard, you know, I hear a lot of people who pray, and I think God is gracious. He puts up, yeah, nobody can pray perfectly, right? But I do think, like I remember hearing somebody pray, for example, God, I want you to, to override their will and so that they do the right thing. I'm like, I'm not sure if God does that. If he's going to override somebody's will. Now, I get what you're saying. You want them to make good choices. But to say, to pray, God, change a person's thinking, you know, con- you know control and, 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 and change their thinking. I'm not sure if, that, if that's what God does, if that's a picture that we get in the Bible. I think what we get in the Bible is, is God gives a lot of freedom to either worship him or not. Uh, and so our prayers are affected if we are muddle-headed about who God is. Does that make sense? I think that's what Peter is getting at. And that, that, is why, that, is why, um, that is why theology is actually really important. That we need to get God right as he's revealed himself. And I think you and I can go, I mean, this idea that, um, you know, the health wealth gospel is a picture of people, the health wealth gospel is the idea that God wants me to be rich. And if God loves me, he's going to, he's going to make me flourish. He's going to make sure my business goes well. And he wants me to be financially really wealthy and, 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 or, that um, if I'm sick, it's because I'm lacking the right amount of faith. If I only had the right amount of faith, then God would hear my prayers and heal me, which again is, is, is not really, I mean, God can heal today, but the picture we see in scriptures is mostly the picture of suffering, don't, is, it, is it not? And so, you know, the health wealth gospel or the faith healing, the Benny Hinn kind of stuff all comes from wrong, wrong thinking about God. And I think this is why this is important. This is why Peter says we need to be sober minded and self-controlled. Um, when we get God wrong, our, our prayers will go off in strange directions. And so what is, uh, what is Peter saying so far? If I were to summarize? Where we're at, he says, we need to understand that we are God's holy people who live as aliens in this world for a short time before we go to our true home. When we understand that, that we will be driven to regularly seek grace and mercy as God, uh, from God as we face challenges in this life. When we're self-controlled and sober-minded, we'll be constantly reminded that we need his help and we need to think rightly about God. Because the end is near uh, and we suffer as aliens in this world, we need to go to the throne constantly and pray. We're called to pray 
regularly, as one of you put it. We need, you know, prayer is a discipline. Um, that the only way we can live for God's glory is as aliens in this world. And so we need to be exceedingly clear-headed. Ex I think that's what, isn't that what he says? Um, the end is that be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Um, above all, keep on loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. I think the word um, sober-minded is just to be very clear-headed, right? And so that's what uh, Peter is getting at. He's, he's saying this is how we need to live. And then he, what does he say? He says in verse eight, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Um, we need to be people that earnestly and deeply love one another. Now, the thing is, we, we know that, right? You guys know that. The church needs to be a, a body that loves one another. <laughs> we all know it. Um, but how do we treat one another? Uh, you know, I think he's, he's, that's why right after he's talking about self-control for the sake of our prayers, he talks about loving one another. Um, it's a response. We are to love one another. Why are we to love one another? How are we to love one another? Well, we love one another when we get God right. Do you know what I mean? When, when we understand that God is love, when we understand that, you know, that on my own, I am an object of wrath far away from God, but God, because of his great love with which he loved me, brought me from death to life. When we really get that, when we get amazing grace, it's going to spill over to one another. If we don't get grace, we're not going to show love to one another. We'll show love to our friends, maybe. And even then, it might be a kind of a needy love. But the kind of love that's being described here, this agape love, this, this, this full-on God's love, is a love that only comes when we understand how much we have been loved. And when we're empowered by the very presence of God to love one another. This, and that's why clear-headed, thinking clearly is right. Because if you think that God will only love you when you're good, then you will apply that to people in the church, that you will be kind to them only when they do what you think they ought to be doing. And the church churches are full of people that are very self-righteous. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've been in, I've been in budget meetings. I've been in AGMs. I mean, our AGMs are so awesome compared to some of the AGMs that I've been in, uh, annual general meetings. I've just seen vitriol. I've seen anger and bitterness and meanness and, oh, I shared with you one time, one, one, one time, yeah, anyhow, I, I won't share it again. <laughs> but I mean, I've experienced, I've been on the receiving end of, of some, some stuff. Um, the people said that, that they, they loved me with the love of Jesus, but that was it. 
other than that, they didn't really like me very much. Um, but when we get the gospel right, when we really get the gospel right, and that's why, you know, people who have been Christians for a long time and they really understand grace, you know, you bump them and they just overflow with love. I think that's what, what Peter is getting at in this. To love one another earnestly from a pure heart, right? That's what we read even back in chapter one. And so I think this is, this is absolutely key for us. Um, I always, whenever I do weddings, I'm going to do a wedding this, uh, this weekend. I always, in the wedding, I always say to the couple, I said, nowhere in the Bible does does it teach that uh, we marry the one we love? I said, but the Bible has a lot to say about loving the one you marry, and uh, which is a choice you got to make. Um, it's 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 putting on your Christ clothes day in and day out. And so, so what does he say? He says, okay, so what does this love look like? Well, it means to practice hospitality. So let me ask you this: What does hospitality mean? Helping others when they need it. Helping others, okay. Helping others when there's need, all right. Giving the best to your guests. Giving the best Treating to your them guests. Better than yourself. Yeah, caring for others. Putting your, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of um, what Henry Nouwen describes hospitality as creating space for the other, creating a space for him or her to come into, sing um, their own song, dance their own dance, yeah. leave and come back as they wish, knowing that they're loved anyway. Good. That stuck with me. It's just such a beautiful description. Yeah, I, I like that. Oh, uh, Pat, uh, walking across the room. That's, I like that. That's a, yeah. You know what I feel when I, when you go on a mission trip, Dave, yeah. When you go to a different country and the hospitality is over the top. Yeah. Like when people invite you in to their home and they have nothing and they love on you and they just, they love having you there. And it's like, wow. Um, they know nothing about you, but they'll love on you. And it just, the feeling is amazing. So that's what we learn when we're there um, yeah. is how to be hospitable to others that are in need, right? That, that need help. So. Ah, uh, so good. Well, and I find in a lot of a lot of cultures, hospitality comes a lot natural, uh, more naturally, or or it's more. I wouldn't say not. It's more embedded culturally than it is in in Western culture now. Uh, I know in a lot of uh, Naira. I don't know if you want to speak to this, but I know in a lot of um, in, in 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 Persian culture, hospitality runs pretty deep. Does it not? It is, David. It is in the Eastern. Guest is everything. Yeah. You put everything first front front of your guest. Even if you be hungry, stay hungry. First, you feed your guest. Yeah, no, that's good. And the, there's a book that was written by a woman named um, Christina Pohl, P O H L, and it's called um, Denise. You'd like this one. It's it's called um, Making Room, and that's that's the the image of of, of hospitality is making space, making room. For another so you know john john ryan he and i are talking he and i are talking we're talking to each other and then mike comes up 
and John and I, we open up and Mike joins us, right? That's making, that is, that's an act of hospitality. Um, you and I all know what it's like in a church foyer where there's two people talking and you try to come in and they kind of turn their backs on you. Sadly, I, I've, I've seen that. I've, yeah, I've probably done it myself. Um, that's not hospitality. Hospitality is like, look, even if we're having a great conversation, we are going to make room for another. That's what hospitality is, is making room for the stranger, making room for another. And one of the um, consequences of, of loving one another earnestly is to make, is to make room for another. To give space, and I, you know, for me that that spoke volumes when I when I was not a Christian and I was uh, I've shared the story. I'm not going to go into details, but I had to get out of um, the country very quickly. I was in a situation where I had to get out of China quickly. I had to get to Hong Kong uh, very quickly, and I had no money. And I remember this American guy, a Christian fella, he invited me into his home because it wasn't safe to be in my home at that point. So he invited me into his home, fed me, gave me money, and he had no money. And I, I had no money, but he, he, he gave me what he had. And he sent me on my way so that, um, so that I can get to Hong Kong, so I could get to Hong Kong and at least get a start. And uh, I'll never forget that. That spoke volumes. And that was a, about three years before I, I came to Christ. But I re always remember that act of hospitality and uh, he made room for me. And uh, when it came to hearing the gospel, that, that really kind of set the table, I think, especially when he shared the gospel with me. Yeah. No, oh, good. So the last part, look at the, the, our very last part. I'll turn my light on so we can, I, I don't disappear. Um, verse 10. Yeah, show hospitality to one another. I like this. He goes, without grumbling. Because it's one thing to say, fine, come in, eat my food, rah, rah, rah. That's no, you can't do it. You do it without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so this is just... Uh, a reference to spiritual gifts. We're called to love one another and we're to use our gifts for the good of others. Our gifts exist to serve one another, which is a pretty important thing to remember. Sometimes, uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but I will. This stays here, right? This stays here. Um, sometimes we have a bit of a um, in the, in the church, a bit of a cult of uh, spiritual gifts. We almost treat them like Myers-Briggs. Like, well, what's your spiritual gift? <laughs> You're administrative, that's boring. I am a prophet um, or I am a this, or I'm, you know, I, we get these ideas of which gifts are, are cooler than other gifts. And, and this, the whole scene on spiritual gifts can be pretty messed up in the church. And it becomes just this elevated view of, look how cool I am, look what I can do. And we have to remember the biblical understanding of gifts is always to serve one another. It's always to, to, to give and to help the other. And that's what, and, 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 and in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and then 1 Peter 4, that's what's, what's being said. 
that we've been given these gifts to serve one another and to love one another. And so we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful about uh, how we use these gifts. Because, oh man, I've seen it. I've seen in the church it all being misused. Has anybody else seen spiritual gifts misused in the church? Maybe we shouldn't say it. Maybe we a shouldn't lot, go there. A lot. Most in the my culture, at least, there is a big competition between those things. You know, in the Eastern country, most people have a lot of dreams. They see a lot of dreams and their dreams comes their adultery. They believe whatever I saw in my dream and that's it. And they turn everything out to bring that dream true for themselves. Oh, interesting. That, that's terrible. And there's a lot of competition and they, they really give a level to each other with whatever they are. Oh, I, I chose for that one. They chose for me for this one. And that's terrible. That's just yeah, terrible. Yeah. That's why when you call, talk about the clear, the mind, the Peter talks about that one, always comes for me, deny yourself. Yeah. You can't, you can't count on yourself because the first commandment say with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength and everything you have to uh, worship him, love him. And second, you have to love your neighbor. It's still your third person. There is your third person. Yeah. That's yeah. why you cannot yeah. be there to clean your mind. There's no of you there. Yeah. That's why you can go join that one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, Peter underlines this. What does he say? He says, you know, if you're to, to look at Peter, he says, um, you know, why is God calling us to live as strangers in a strange land? Why does he call us to live holy lives? Why does he call us to submit to a human authorities? Why would he ask slaves to obey their masters? Why would he expect Christian women to live exemplary lives of piety when married to unkind, unbelieving husbands? Uh, why does he expect Christian husbands to treat their Christian wives with honor as co-heir? Why does he expect us to endure unjust suffering? Why all these things? Because when we do that, we represent Jesus and God gets the glory. And I'm reminded of uh, any, uh, any good reform people. Does anybody know the opening line? Oh, you probably have it in your notes uh, of the Westminster Catechism. Westminster Catechism of the 17th century. Why, what is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is the chief end of humanity, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And uh, that's important. And that, I think, Peter's intentional. He talks about the glory of God right after he talks about spiritual gifts. Because he knows. I mean, he probably talked to Paul. And Paul saying, Peter, you would not believe what's going on in Corinth. Well, tell me about it, Paul. Well, you got just, it's just, you know, spiritual gifts running amok. Everybody's speaking in tongues and it's just a mess. And so Peter's like, all right, you know, if you're speaking, if, if, if you're practicing spiritual gifts, if you're exercising spiritual gifts, make sure whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God. And whenever we take any of our spiritual gifts and we make it about ourselves, we rob God of glory. To him, to God alone belongs glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Right? And so we need to be careful about that. Any comments? 
I just come to my mind when you, when we, I say a lot of times, at least more before, why, 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 why? If we see that one right way, the why comes out because I do wrong. If I do right, why never that why comes out for me? Because I do not understand I'm suffering actually, because I, I think I do by love whatever the God treats me to do and teach me to do. But when I bring it the why, for sure I'm doing wrong things that this one comes wrong for me. Hmm. Do you get my point? Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's always good. It's always good to ask a, 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 the question, you know, what, what motivates us? So, I mean, this is Peter's point, you know, he's just like, what, and he's going to come back to this, you know, the, the, the picture of glory and the picture of, of God's dominion. Um, to him belong glory and dominion, like authority and all glory goes, goes to him. And uh, in, in, in all that we do, uh, we need to bring him glory. And that means thinking clearly again about who he is, being sober-minded and self-controlled, thinking clearly. Cool. Well, good. So this is First uh, Peter chapter 4. I have a series of questions. Um, and, and I think these are, so I don't know if you've been going through the questions. Uh, I'm not checking homework or anything like that, but I mean, they're good to actually go through um, as, as throughout the week, you know, what is your attitude when people mistreat you? I mean, I'll tell you my first attitude when somebody mistreats me is to think of how I can get back at them. That's my, that's my initial reaction. And then I try to think, okay, well, let's, let's try to be more sober minded or more self-controlled. Um, but that is, yeah. Um, are people, you know, coworkers shocked by the activities you choose not to participate in? Um, are people shocked by, I mean, one of the things that people are, are usually shocked about is, um, is how Christians give. There, there's a book that uh, was written a number of years ago. It's a, it's a great title. It's called Who Really Cares? It's a, it's a great double entendre. But it looked at the United States and it says, okay, who really cares? Who's giving to... to um, you know, to, to charities, who's giving to, to relief aid and those sorts of things. And they look at it and it says most of the people, most of the money that goes towards relief agencies or goes towards food relief and, and support or welfare is, is comes from larger, well, not even larger, but just conservative evangelical churches. Um, and, you know, when people hear how, you, how do you spend your money? What do you spend your money on? I mean, that also speaks volumes. Um, yeah, so I would encourage you to, to, to look at some of these. And then how do you practice hospitality? Have you missed opportunities to show hospitality because you did not understand what God, how God calls us to treat others? Um, how are you, you, do you know your spiritual gifts? And how are you using them to glorify God and to serve others? These are some things to think about. Any comments, questions? I really appreciate it about uh, tonight, um, your em emphasis on the life of the mind, David, and the importance of, of the conversion of the mind as well. Not a, you know, we started with the conversion of the heart, the affections. Um, and and I'm, I'm learning that, that, that a Christian conversion 
includes the life of the mind and it's an important dimension of that. Oh, yeah, well, thanks. Well, it's true. I mean, ideas have consequences. They really do. And if you do not control how you think about things, if you do not think about things carefully, um, what <laughs> G.K. Chesterton says, it goes, the person, um, the person who believes in nothing is liable to end up believing in anything. Um, and so you have to be careful how, what, what you believe, what you know is true and to live in accordance to that. And I, I find a lot of people are, you know, this doesn't mean you guys, cause you guys are all here tonight. Um, but I find a lot of people are, are, are quite um, lazy in their thinking. And when we're lazy in our thinking about who God is, we can end up going down some pretty wrong, pretty, pretty dangerous roads. And so we need to, I, I, I do feel quite strongly about the discipline of the mind. It's not all about the mind. I get it. It's, you know, it is about the heart as well, but uh, we need to think right. We need to be clear thinkers um, and think right about God because that does shape how we pray. Right? When somebody teaches me uh, something about God that I did not know, that goes straight to my heart. And and it just, it, my response is prayer. So it is really, the life of the mind is important. All right. And, well, And I'm ahead. very grateful. And I'm very grateful for that chair and you because of your teaching, the very good teaching, because I suffered for the first of my beliefs. Uh, seven years, I was under wrong teacher. And many years took from me to took all that wrong teaching out of my mind and out of my action, out of my mind, everything. And really, I've always I'm jealous to the Western people because when they become believers, they right away go the right place, right time, right teacher, and their life goes up. But for me, no, it doesn't pass that way at all. And the good teacher is very important than everything when you become a believer. Well, and I, I do think, you know, when it comes to missions, I mean, for some of you guys are quite involved in missions. I think that is, you know, people say, what, what does the West have to offer, you know, you know, different churches in, in, in Africa or in East Asia or in South America? I mean, in terms of the liveliness of, 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 of the Christian life, I mean, we have in the West have so much to learn from our brothers and sisters in, in Africa and East Asia and South America. So much to learn because we're, we're, we're so dry here. But what we do have, what we do have that maybe offering an exchange is a, is a pretty long and rich theological tradition mm -hmm. that is lacking in some of these countries. Um, Most of them, yeah. In a lot of them, yeah. And yeah. so it, it, it can kind of maybe keep them from, from going down the road of, of heresy or, or becoming cults, which yeah. is growing quite a bit in some of these countries. Yeah. So. Anyhow. Thank you, anyways. Cool. All right. Well, let me pray. And then we just got two sessions left. And we'll be finishing off First Peter before you know it. So let me pray. And then we'll head on our way. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you um, for your word. And we do pray that in all that we say, in all that we do, we do it to the glory of God. Uh, to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. And so we do pray that um, you would help us to be clear-headed, sober-minded, and self-controlled, that we would think properly about who you are, and that our prayers would reflect um, who you are, 
who you truly are, how you have revealed yourself. And we do pray that it's not just head knowledge, but this would spill over in terms of our love for one another, um, that love covers a multitude of sins and that we would be people who would make room for one another, especially especially as, as I hope we, we can gather back together in person soon, that we would, we would make a lot of space for one another as we're able to enter into each other's homes again. Uh, boy, that's, that'll be a great day when that happens. So yes, we lift up all these prayers to you. May we live for your glory and live out the gifts that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Amen. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.